Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have got a great show for you today. She grew up in Douglaston, New York, down the street from John McEnroe, and learned tennis from the same guys who taught him, Tony Palafox and Harry Hopman. In singles, she got to 33 in the world, and at the 1977 French Open, she partnered with John, winning the mixed doubles and sharing Mac's first major championship. She's probably best known for her insightful and witty commentary and poignant journalism. She's a correspondent for Real Sports with Brian Gumbel and has broadcasted on nearly every network under the sun. Mary Carrillo covers everything from the Olympics to the dog show and, of course, tennis. Sports Illustrated called her the best sports analyst of the decade, and we're pretty sure she's our first Peabody winner. Mary's going to tell us how a barbell pushed her into pro tennis, why next year's Olympic tennis is must-see TV, and why she thinks that everything anyone says about Nick Kyrgios, and John McEnroe for that matter, is true. We met up with Mary at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden in between her tennis channel broadcast of the BMP Paribas Open. We were in interview room, I think this is two or three, on level three of Stadium One. This is one of the only hotshot stadiums in the world that does not have a good name. What would you like to call it, Craig Shapiro? I feel like it should be like Ellison Arena or, you know what I mean? Like it should have some kind of interesting... Okay, I understand that. There used to be like, even a Court Central, like a Court yeah. Central. How about like Sampras Stadium or something like that? Why don't we name it after one of the greats? Who won it the most? Well, I mean, on the women's side, no one's won it more than two times, which sounds impossible, except that Serena boycotted this tournament That's for right. 14 Serena years. That's right, it for 100 yeah. years. But Serena Stadium, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with some of these ideas. Or we can go into the files, Pancho Gonzalez Stadium. Californians, uh, you know, Billie Jean King. The young lady you are hearing is none other than by far the most prolific person in TV, <laughs> uh, Mary Carrillo. I think I met you probably in 1998 at HBO at Wimbledon. That's exactly right. We did some, we did some time together. Yo, that's a long time. That was a while ago, yeah. All right, well listen, to keep things snappy and cover a wide variety of topics and subjects, and also keep to that tennis theme, we do a five set format. This is our first set, we call it the Off the Court Report. All right. First and foremost, what have you been doing since Australia? You get home from Australia, what happens to you? I work on a show called Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. Got home from the Australian Open, and I updated a story, Craig, that it's always been one of my favorites, so I'm glad we got to revisit it. 12 years ago, I went to Africa, with Lopez Lamont, terrific track star. I know this Remember story. Remember this story? Yeah. Lopez so, Lamont. Yeah, he ended up becoming an American citizen and carried the flag at uh, a couple of Olympics ago. Yeah, into this, the, like, that it's was an like amazing a, story. It's a real, real sports crier. It was, it was a beautiful story <laughs> because this guy came from nothing and uh, he, was one of the, he was one of the lost boys of the Sudan. Right. And he ended up creating a, a wonderful life. He was brought over by a couple of Americans who took him in, became an American citizen, the update of that story, which was already pretty snappy, was that now he has brought his two brothers over. They were adopted by another American family who saw my piece back 12 years ago. They saw that piece and said, we have to do something to help his brothers. Now his two brothers, Lopez Lemong's two kid brothers, are both college track stars. All three of them are hoping to make the Tokyo Olympics next summer. 
No way. That's I know. That's a good story. So I <laughs> How just, many times did you cry on the shoot? Uh, on that particular one, yeah. um, I did not cry this time because it was just Blue Sky uh, update. But the first time I went over and saw his life and saw where he came from, I, Real Sports of Brian Gumbel can make you cry. Oh, man. And I'm, I'm, I can get pretty weepy in a hurry anyway. So, so you do Lopez LeMond mm -hmm. recap. Yes. Then what? Um, uh, what else have I done? I've done a little bit of tennis since then. From here, I go to Japan next week to shoot features for NBC for the Tokyo Olympics next summer. I'll go to Kyoto, Osaka, and Tokyo, start doing stories there. And as you know, next year's tennis at the Olympics, it's going to be the last Olympics for, let's face it, for Rafa, for Roger, maybe for Djokovic, for Serena, for Venus. Wait, and that Olympics is in Japan? That's in Tokyo next summer. So that is going to be a huge, and you've got Naomi Osaka, who's a huge star in that country right Wait, now. Wait, hold on a second, but do you even broadcast tennis? In the yeah. Olympics? For some reason, I thought you're like Oh, no, I do other and... stuff too. But the first eight days of the Olympics, I'll be covering tennis. And then I, I, I'll do these features that will air. Right. I'll do a little bit of swimming with you, Rowdy Gaines. But you also do the opening ceremonies. I haven't done that in a while. Oh, is that I've right? Done, I've done it for 4K, for opening and closing ceremony. You know, there are so many different platforms for Universal now, the NBC Olympics. Got it. So I do all kinds of... All kinds. I run around. It's This will be my 15th Olympics. That's how old I am. 15th Olympics? Yeah, this will be my 15th. Oh, yo! I know. I'm elderly. You look incredible! I'm going to be 62 years old in a couple of days. No way! <laughs> you must have a lot of money to look out good. <laughs> that is, you have to. That's a good effort, man. <laughs> so, listen. Yes? Um, what else do you, you want to know? You... You come back from Japan. Yes, and then I'll go straight to Charleston. I'm going from Tokyo to Charleston. For tennis, for tennis of, channel. We do all seven days of that. Yeah. And then I might be going to Hawaii for another real sports story. I know. And then I'll do Monte Carlo from the LA studio and tennis channel. And then I'm going to a wedding and then I'll go to the French Open. <laughs> that's a higher hard. That's, that's good a, stuff. That's why I wear sensible shoes. <laughs> I think we should move into our second set. This is our on-the-court report. Okay. Um, first of all, what do you say about Nick Kyrgios right now? I mean, he's, you know what he, he, look, he's amazing, and he's exasperating at the same time. Um, I, I, I say about Nick what I say about John McEnroe, whom I've grown up with, and obviously John is a, a champion many times over, which Nick has not yet proven, at least in the majors, but anything anybody has ever said to me about my childhood friend, good or bad, is true. <laughs> yeah. Anything, like any, you can't say something, you know, over the years, John, you know what he did to, and I'm yeah. there, ah, oh, man, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. Hey, you know what John did for my son? Yeah, like anything is true about Nick Kyrgios as well. But I mean, just to just to even dial it in more, like what he did last week, right, it's, at the Acapulco. It's, it's amazing. No, no, when, and you know what? He loves Acapulco. He was there with his buddies. You know, he was having a great time. He was jet skiing. He was just relaxing. And that's when he brings out his best his best ball. It's incredible that you can suck it up so much and then go beat Rafa. And and beat <laughs> Rafa like with like, you know, hundreds of good and bad drop shots. And yes. and he got Rafa as angry as anybody <laughs> I've ever as any has he's ever been. You know, Rafa had to speak about his remarks from Acapulco again. He had to address him again this week because what Rafa said, I think Rafa, I like how candid he is. I like, you know, he was disappointed 
in the loss. Obviously, he had his looks to beat Kyrgios. And then in the press conference, what he felt was that, including the underhanded serve, which is fine, but I think it aggravated Rafa. Um, but he said he, he said of Nick that he doesn't respect the fans or his opponents or himself. I don't think he meant it in such a pejorative way that some people, including Nick, took it. I think he was basically just saying, if this dude played like this right. all the time, I mean, he, he's a marvel. I'm 100% on that. I, I really I, believe that. But, but Rafa on that court at that match was like oh, no, no, he losing was aggravated. his mind. No, yeah. he was, and, and, and I understand why, because Rafa, I mean, every, every time he swings the ball, it's with intention. Every time he swings the ball, it's with passion, with, with focus, with energy. Um, but I loved, how funny was it, Craig, what uh, Sasha said uh, uh, when he gave his runner-up speech. He looked over to Kyrgios' team, and half of them were, were gone. And he said, and he, there's only a couple of them there, and I don't even know what they do. He's, yeah, that's right. He said, he said, I want to congratulate your team, but I don't know what one of them do. <laughs> it was pretty I, funny. Honestly, I think, I think he's gone. His, his, the people he wants around him, that, that is his team. It was an incredible effort to see all the people he beat. I mean, yeah. he beat Rafa. He beat that Italian who's oh he always got to beat that Italian somehow to get right. It seems like he always does. Someone you always got to go beat Seppi to win a tournament. <laughs> Every tournament anybody ever wins, they got to beat Seppi. Yeah. He beat Seppi. He beat Rafa. He beat Rolinka. Yep. He beat Isner. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No, the guy can play. <laughs> I mean, he can that play. Is he can play remarkable ball. His. Yeah. Um, I hope he lives up to himself. I, I want mean, him to live up to himself. Do, do your, are your, our, our show is an insider show. Are your, do you have any interesting sources? Do you know anything about him that we don't know? No, I mean, I, I, um, I interviewed him a couple of summers ago. He gave me a, a really lo lovely sit-down. Because I, I sat, you know, he, he sat beside me and said, hey, do you want me to tell you what your problem is? Because everybody else does. And he just said, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> like, yeah. And I basically said to him what I, what I said to you. He shows us how great he can be. Yeah. But then, then he, he goes quiet for long spells and he acts up and he says ridiculous things. And he tanks. And he, tanking is the part of him that I, is inexcusable. There are people in those stands who've waited for him, who kids who idolize him. They've paid a lot of dough to watch him. Yo, the tanking. If he gets rid of that, then I'm not going to complain too much about the rest of them. The tanking is inexcusable. But here's the other Stop thing. Stop tanking, man. Well, here's the other thing. You know, people say... You know, once, if only he worked on his mental strength, he's got to work on his physical strength. 100%. Because he plays that way because he's got to. The guy can't grind. He said it. He doesn't want to grind. He said it. And he knows it. That's the hell of it with Kyrgios. <laughs> he Kyrgios. said it. He knows it. He he's said just got to commit. He said, he said, I had to, I had to dump out of points because right. I was too tired. And I love what <laughs> so he, he said. So he gets a drop shot. And Craig, he, <laughs> he says, I like playing Israel because I know I don't have to run much. Yeah. <laughs> The guy, I, that's incredible. the thing. He is, yeah. He is uh, glorious when he wants to be, and that's and that's what I hang on to. He is glorious when he wants to be, hundred um, percent. What are you hearing about Naomi Osaka? I mean, how do you dump a coach? You go to you go you go from seventy eight to one. Okay. Yeah. You win the U.S. Open in the face of horrendousness. You come back around the rest of the year, you win the Australian Open, and then you dump your coach. Well, what, you gotta tell me something interesting about this. What do you know that we don't? Um, I don't know that much. I mean, I've heard pretty much what everybody has heard. I think Sasha has been with a couple of people who don't necessarily speak fondly of him, in, you know, 
in, was in he a pain in the ass? No, I don't think, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to pretend I know exactly yeah. what the tipping point was yeah. with Naomi, but, you know, she just spoke to the fact that she wanted people around her that made her feel happy, and at, at some point that wasn't happening with Sasha. Look, he, she tells a story about the first time she ever met Sasha. He walked on the court and tripped and, like, broke his ankle. And for some reason, she thought that was a good sign. Sometimes she's, she found that endearing. I mean, she's, she's quirky. She is. She's quirky and she's very and inward she, and she's very, I mean, clearly Naomi is a great, great player who's, who's still trying to figure out her way, who figured, I, I, I read somewhere that uh, her older sister Mary said that sometimes when she's gone on her beats, her heads, her yeah, headphones, her yeah. whatever, She's not listening to music. She just doesn't want to have to engage. She just so she's. I, look, I think it was just a personality deal. She didn't like who he was or how he was, and and that's too bad. But I don't you know, know, the thing too to me, you know, I, I, a producer from Real Sports once said to me, man, he was giving me a lesson. He said everything, Matt Morantz. He said everything uh, is an indicator. Mm. Everything is an indicator. And to me, the way she popped it off on Twitter, mm -hmm. and then spoke to it. Yeah. It is, was a pretty frosty goodbye. Yes, 100%. I mean, it was, but it, I mean, How this, good is she? How good oh, is she's she? she's tremendous. She's she, the future. She's that she, good? She's not, I think she is. She's not going to start losing matches like um, Muguruza loses all these, you know, like we thought she was going to be the real thing. and Yeah. Um, I, th I don't think she's going to necessarily have a great clay court season. I don't think Naomi's that. I mean, I don't think she'll... Hang on, she could lose her number one ranking at the by the end of the Indian Wells. I mean, so you know, because she has to defend this tournament. She's got to defend. She's right. but she, defending champ Naomi Osaka. Everybody, by the way. Yeah, she's. I think she's terrific, and I think she is very quietly ambitious. I think she wants to be great. She grew up idolizing Serena. You know, she had the whole sister deal that Serena and Venus had with her older sister. She just, you know, I think she's. I think she's very, very special, and and. I think she will win at least a, a, hand, a fistful of majors, at least. Um, what do you think about um, some of these players that we haven't really, you know, have you, have you, have you seen Mukova, the one who beat Muguruza last year at the U.S. Open? Or? A lot of people have beaten Mugu lately. What's <laughs> <laughs> her problem? She just... Uh, I don't know. I, I, but it seems, I mean, I've, I've, you watch what looks like a... Uh, very testy, it's sometimes toxic relationship with her coach, and you're just and she doesn't seem happy. You know, she wins a French a couple of years ago, beats Serena in the finals. Not too many people can beat Serena Williams in the final of a major. And then she goes quiet for a while. Then she, with Conchita Martinez, she wins her second major at Wimbledon. Um, and I think Conchita's a terrific coach. Very good, very good energy to her. You know, very calm and you know, I, I. I'm not just blaming Muguruza's results of late on her coach, but she, when she doesn't look happy out there, man, oh man, it's not fun to watch at all. I believe in her. I think I like her. I feel like we saw her like we thought she was going to be like really winning a lot of stuff and it just doesn't come. Well, she's, look, she's still, what, mid-20s. She's still got plenty of, she's plenty of time, but I do think that, I think she's got to change her team. But you know, time keeps on ticking, 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 right? I mean, <laughs> yes, it does, though. You don't have to it tell me, keeps... my friend. I've made, I've made a lot of revolutions around the sun. But I mean, these careers, all of a sudden, you're like, wait, that person's off the tour? Yeah. Except for the three guys and the two sisters that have been playing since I was 25. <laughs> yeah.
How about, how, what did Serena, she hasn't won this in what, 18 years? But the first time she won it was 20 years ago. I'm saying. <laughs> she beat Grom. I mean, you look, and you look at, so Roger wins his 100th title. Uh, 25 of the guys he beat in the finals of those tournaments have retired. Amazing. I mean, when you start digging into the weeds of these numbers, it's they so really make you smile. Let's move into our third set. This right. is the portion of our show we talk about our guest career. Um, first of all, you were 33 in the world. I was, I, I the last, the year, I had terrible knees. I mean, I'm, they were made of glass. But 33 in the world ain't no joke, man. The last year I played, which was 1980, I beat three top 20 players, and I thought Who? maybe I had a shot. Ann Kiyomura, Betsy Nagelson, and Ann Smith. You remember those yeah, names? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's of your time, right? Well, and I thought, when I was a I little I kid, like but a, I, have, I have bizarre skills like that. <laughs> I thought I could spend a little bit of time in the top 20, but I really, I was riding on rims, you know? So I, I had to- Both I knees. had to quit early. Four, I've had four surgeries on my right knee, and then my left knee is, took the weight of my right knee, so um, Did I, you win any tournaments? Uh, yeah, but they were small. Um, I, you know, I won the French Open with John McEnroe. He was 18, I was 20. Right, and I, 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 everyone I, talks about that. I thought, you know. Well, I mean, the only reason I brought it up is you asked yeah. me if I won any tournaments. <laughs> that <laughs> was, that right. was John McEnroe's first Grand Slam title. Yeah. And it was my last. He, John was wearing Fila. <laughs> Were you wearing Fila too? No, I was wearing Adidas. Adidas, yes. and John was wearing Fila. John was, and John was using that, that groovy, Dunlop Max Ply, the classic, and it was, and he, yeah, it was, we were still playing with wood. Do you come yeah. up in Douglaston? Yeah. John, John McEnroe and I grew up and three blocks away from each other. And you took, you took tennis lessons from Tony Palafox? Yeah. You did? I did. You lived that whole, and did I, Jim Malamy is your friend? Jimmy Malamy is one of my very best friends. Right, yeah. I remember. Yes. Um, we played at the Douglaston Club. Yeah. There were three, there are still three clay courts and two hard courts. It's a nice club. It's a great, sweet little club. And then John started playing tournaments, so I did. Then John started going to Port Washington Tennis Academy, so I did. We had Harry Hopman and Tony Palafox as two of, you know, the better coaches on the East Coast. That Harry was Hopman was there? Yeah, Harry Hopman was there. He was at the Port Washington Tennis Academy, and then when he moved down to start his own academy in Florida, I followed him. I was supposed to go to college. My mom's still waiting for me to go to college. You didn't go to college? I did not. Because Mr. Hotman, on the end of my senior year, I was going to go to um, Trinity College in San Antonio. They were three in the country. And my friend Joanne Russell was playing there. Uh, and uh, they had a good team. I mean, there were, you know, um, a couple of very good players there. And you just uh, turned, Donna Stockton was playing there. And you turned, Dick, and you, and you turned pro? No, I didn't turn. I, I, told, I promised my mother. She, I was going to be the first <laughs> Carrillo girl to ever go to college. And I, I had a couple of brain cells I could rub together. I had some college scholarship offers. But I, again, I knew my knees were terrible. I knew four years of hardcore tennis would blow them out. And I'd never get a look at the pros. So I told her I wouldn't turn pro. I, I, I worked for Mr. Hotman for a year and a half. I made $50 a week. And then I played in the afternoon. I worked in the pro shop a couple of nights a week. But he put me up. I shared an apartment with his niece and a couple of other women. Who Harry Hotman. With Mr. Hotman, yes. Um, 
And then Gene Scott, the late great Gene Scott, had a tournament in the Bahamas. Gene Scott was a player, Terrific but player. he was a very significant person in tennis who was the founder and editor of Tennis Week magazine. Correct, publisher, um, writer. Again, he brought, he brought tennis to Russia in a big way. Um, anyways, Gene Scott had a tournament in the Bahamas, and it was, it was like an eight-woman event, and he invited me down because I'd known him since I was a kid. And anyway, it was a great relief for me because I'd been feeding balls, you know, nonstop. And a bunch of Virginia Rizic was playing, Bettina Bungie. The people who are old enough to remember those names will yeah. know who I'm talking about. Anyway, at the end of the week, I'm checking out of my hotel in the Bahamas, and I've got a $200 bar bill. A lot of pina coladas going on, you know. And if I kept winning, so I kept <laughs> buying drinks. I, anyway, I didn't have $200. I had $8. So I went to the tournament director, and I said, how much is it to get to the semis? Yeah. And he told me, and I said, I'm turning pro. So there you go, I turned pro to pay my bar bill. No way. And my mother, oh. by the way. <laughs> yeah. So then I never Incredible. told my mother. Like, a, like months later, I said to my mom, you know, I'm really thinking of turning pro because I've got all these players on my court, you know, the court that are, and she said, oh, all right. And I never told her the story. And John Feinstein wrote a book uh, in 1991 about tennis, hard courts. Yeah. And I was one of the chapters in his book. And a friend of my mother's read that chapter and she was aggravated at me. I said, my, it was a while ago. Let's all move on. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing thing. What was the and name it's of true. that? Where was that? Was that like the Bahama Princess? Or? Oh God, I don't even remember. It was could, glorious. Then I guess you won the French, which I guess it did get better. But generally speaking- <laughs> That was one of the great weeks of my, of my career. Yes, amazing. that's how I turned pro. Um, I know you told the story of how you um, got into broadcasting tennis mm. um, to our friends at Racket Magazine, but if you give us the cliff notes, I have some more poignant things to ask so you. So this was, uh, you remember, Craig, how the year in championships of men and the women was played at the Garden, Madison Square Garden in Masters. New York. Masters. It was amazing, by the way. It was packed. Uh, it, was a, it was an amazing tournament. My father ran a trip from Rhode Island to the Masters. So Did I was really? at all, when I was a little kid, yes, buses of people. And I used to go. Wow. So I was at all those matches. They were. Vetus versus John and Vetus uh, versus exactly. Vilas. No, no, it was Borg and, and Lendl and Connors. But you, was, but you were there mucking around. I was there one night and I loved it. The last match of the night was Tracy Austin against Yvonne Gulagong. And I was still around and obviously some of the people had emptied out. And the guys who were doing Madison Square Garden television they were looking for people to interview and somebody from the Virginia Slim said, hey, Mary Carrillo's here if you wanna. So, fine, so they interviewed me. I did this interview and I was really loose, you know, I'd had yeah. a couple of beers, <laughs> I was, yeah. And, I, and I'm explaining, oh, this match is gonna be great because Yvonne is a, I'm explaining why this is such a cool matchup with Tracy Austin and Yvonne Gulagong. And then that was it and I was gonna go sit and watch the match and they invited me to come up to the booth. I didn't even have a headset, they just stuck a microphone one of those Larry King microphones in front of yeah. me, and I called the match. And that was, I thought, the end of it. I was still playing, this was like 1980. And then at Wimbledon, like half a year later, uh, I blew out my knee for the last time and had to quit. And luckily, a producer from USA Network who had heard my call that night said that they were gonna start covering a couple of women's tournaments a year. And he said, do you wanna do it? And I was recently unemployed. <laughs> I had just played my last Wimbledon. And I said, yeah, let's, sure. And that's how it started. I mean, that's fortuitous. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
Now you know what um, I was just last night when when uh, we, I was preparing to talk with you. I just thought of like a, a concert T-shirt, the Mary Carillo like TV <laughs> World Tour. Now, if I have it right, you've worked for HBO, USA, NBC, ESPN, Tennis Channel is five. CBS. CBS six. PBS. Madison Square Garden. Oh yeah, no. I've, it sounds like I can't hold down a job, doesn't it? Wait, wait, I mean, you, <laughs> you realize you're like the only broadcaster in the world that has this insanity of like you've worked for almost every network. What, what, what have you? Who have you not worked for? Uh, ABC. Nope, I've never worked for ABC. There you go. Um, Fox. Fox. Have I done any Fox? I'd say no. I'd have to say no. TNT. I did TNT. We did Wimbledon. TNT Wimbledon one year. No. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think we did it for three years. We had a, we left we, after the HBO oh. contract was over. Yeah. And also, you do the dog show. I just came back from the Beverly Hills dog show. Yeah, for NBC. Yeah, I do the national dog show as well. Thirty million people watch the national dog show because it's on Thanksgiving but, Day, and the Beverly Hills dog show will air on Easter Sunday. And your sort of coup de gras is the Westminster dog show. Like, is that sort of your like? Kinda... I love that we did it. I think I did that. Uh, five times, six times, and then we lost it to Fox. We don't do it anymore. So we've got the National Dog Show and the Beverly Hills Dog Show. Wait a minute, I forgot. I did, I've did. i worked for Hallmark Channel. I've done three or four kitten bowls, my friend. Do you say no to any gig? <laughs> Is there a, do you, are you like this? I always said about Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson, you see him on every single thing. That's un- but you, do you say no to gigs? I, I've not gotten to work with Samuel. Yet. <laughs> but if somebody said to me, will you be in a film with Samuel? I would jump at the chance. 100%. No, I like, I'm curious. I'm curious. I, I, it's, yeah. And I always tell like young kids, uh, including my own, like, say yes. If you can't do it, yeah, go do some they stuff. will let you know. Yeah, go do some but stuff. But how, I mean, how much, if you're interested and if you're engaged and if you're curious and if you want to do your homework, Say yeah, I want to just I want to see as much of the planet as possible. I just think it's important to to really you know look around, yeah, and see what's going on. Um, well, I have one last question for you. It's about the interview you did with Margaret Court. Mm. Um, for the, for our listeners who um, don't know, Mary interviewed the controversial, hyper religious, anti gay, arguably one of the top. Five greatest tennis players ever, Margaret Court, for real sports. Correct. That was last year. Yeah. Uh, Margaret Court Arena, obviously, was you know the, is it's one of the best tennis stadiums in the world, and it's a, a beautiful covered court. And I spent a week in Perth, Australia, with Margaret. I was there on the day that gay marriage passed in Australia, and Margaret was not happy about it. Yeah. And she basically she said, you know. She said that she truly considers herself to be, she's got her own ministry, Greg. They do some amazing things all over the world. Um, But she feels, she's like Old Testament, this is not what God, this is not what Jesus has planned for you. Um, And she, on that day that uh, gay marriage passed in Australia, she says, I know I am part of the silent majority, and yet it passed. So it was was tough, I interviewed, for that story, I interviewed um, Margaret. And Billie Jean and Martina. And obviously those two both feel that that Margaret Court's name should be stripped from that arena. But guess what? None of the players, none of the players go after it. It's been years now. 
um, where Margaret has spoken out and the players, uh, like Billy, both Billy and Martinez said if they were still playing today, they would refuse to play on that court. They'd shut the whole thing down. They just wouldn't play on it. Um, but there is no other player, you know, they all, and look, in defense of the players who may feel that it's wrong, and, and that's up to everybody who's got their own opinion about it, it's right at the beginning of a term, they don't want to get into controversy, they don't want to be making headlines, and, and it's an energy suck for them to be getting themselves in trouble and making headlines right before they're trying to win a major tennis tournament. into our fourth set which will go fast all right you got uh, this is a not a deep dive this is the 10 ball scramble. shallow best i can go shallow shallow <laughs> shallow okay go best win best win uh getting to the third round of uh wimbledon uh 79 i believe i i won a couple i beat ann Moore and betsy nagelson that match against bets who was a, one of my closest friends it's the best match I've ever played. On grass, Wimby, serve and volley, slash and dash, lefty, disruption. Yeah, that was my best win. Worst loss. <laughs> How much time have you got? <laughs> um, probably my last match ever was also at Wimbledon, 1980, against Pam Teagard in the first round. I think it lasted about nine minutes. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> it was raining. I was afraid to move. Favorite tournament. To play or to... You, your answer. Oh, uh, the Australian Open has become my favorite tournament. Favorite Olympics. Favorite Olympics is Lillehammer. Favorite Olympic sport. Uh, figure skating. Worst Olympics. Worst Olympics was Pyeongchang for me, personally. Worst Olympic sport. Uh, <laughs> worst Olympic sport is... Uh... I think speed walking's a joke. Well, oh, okay. I was thinking winter sports, and there are some wacky ones. Uh... Speed walking? Yeah, I, I think I might go home with you on that. Best day of your life. Best day of my life? Is there probably two of them when my kids were born? Anthony's 31 now, Rachel's 27. They're nice kids. They turned out, go figure, they turned out really nicely. HBO. Love it. NBC. Love it. USA. USA, the country or the network? Up to you. Oh, <laughs> big fan. Big fan of my country. Hope hope there's an upturn politically. Please. Please. Uh, ESPN. Love it. Tennis Channel. Hello. That's they they, they uh, that's where I am. That's uh, I'm very lucky. I like the people I work with. I like the I like what I do, man. This is some scam I got going here. Moving into our fifth and final right. set. <laughs> okay. This is our queen of the court. All and right. It's, if you were the queen of tennis. And you could just rock something in or out or off with mm. one scepter swing. What would it be? I'll bet everyone says the same thing. Uh, um, I would have more mixed events and a shorter tennis season. To me, that only makes sense. You know, blow up this and all the stupid infighting, all the silos, all the turf wars in tennis. We're going through a couple of them right now. The ITF transition tour, which looks like an unmitigated disaster. Uh, with Chris Kermode, this is he's know, he's a I... lame duck now for the re for nine months. This dude's a, a lame duck, and that's a lot of quacking for for a guy who's heading up you know a, a large organization. Um, so yeah, I I just wish that I do, I remember reading a story that Arthur Ashe when he was still playing. This is mid seventies. He, he was asked how how tennis what the state of tennis was, and he said it is a healthy mess. Yeah. All those years later, 
And, and there are place, parts of tennis that are in an unhealthy mess. So I hope things get better. Mary Carrillo, um, so good to see you. So nice to see you. This it's was, been a while, man. It's been a minute. And uh, that was an outstanding 38 minutes tour de force. We just rocked the mic. 38 minute five That center. was terrific. <laughs> um, you are released. That's, that's it. Have a great night. Hey, you too. Huge thank you to Mary Carrillo. Thank you to the folks at the Tennis Channel for letting us use their booth. Thank you to Pam McClintock and Greg Kilday for the accommodations. I want to thank Martin Mulligan Jr. and Constellation Sports and Entertainment, and of course, our friends at Fila. And thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And tell your friends. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At URWithCS is our Twitter handle. Underreviewtennis is our Instagram and Facebook. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.